0: Hello Hello and welcome!
1: In this interview we talk with amazing advocate, founder of Tikva for Animals and co-founder of Farm Transition Academy, Mira Geiser.
0: In this lively discussion we cover creating a safe space for Jewish animal rights activists, the use of holocaust in our activism language, banning glue traps, advocating to farmers and farm transitions, all as part of this incredible young activist journey to animal liberation.
1: This interview was recorded as part of our Activists to Follow live series, which you can watch on our YouTube channel.
0: If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating on your favorite podcast platform. And if you would like to support the work of Vegan FTA, please check out www.veganfta.com forward slash donate. Now, on on with with the the podcast.
2: podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I, yeah, like you said, I kind of have my efforts in different directions. Um, My organization is not yet a nonprofit, just to clarify that, Take Foot for Animals. I started to address issues that have not really been covered uh, regarding things in the Jewish community, things like what's happening for kosher slaughter or farms for animals raised and then sold as kosher. Um, I co-founded Farm Transition Academy, which is in the farm transitions arena and helping advocates get more involved in that. And also um, people in the industry get resources to transition out, just be connected to different organizations in their area. And um, yeah, I also running a campaign against Home Depot, which is a huge company in Northern America that sells like homeware stuff. So home, home improvement stuff. So they sell many different types of glue of, of rat traps, but specifically glue traps as well. And I have a campaign for them to stop selling them. And they're over 2,000 stores. <laughs> wow!
0: I can't wait to uh, share this all with our audience. And so we will dive into these. But um, yeah, when we do the research for this, it's just like, what do we talk about? Where do we
1: start? There's so much. <laughs>
0: so much cool stuff that you're doing in the movement. And um, we're just so happy to have you with us today. And I think it's safe to say that you're the youngest activist we've had the pleasure of having on this show so far. And despite this, however, you have a long and varied history of activism, which would impress even our most senior and experienced advocates. So what was it that um, made you have that first dive into activism? What was it that compelled you to start using your voice?
2: So I, I always loved animals. I don't know. At some point, like I just had a problem with zoos and aquariums because I remember for my eighth grade graduation trip, we, like my grade was discussing different options of what, what our graduation trip would be. And one of the options included going to Baltimore and with going to Baltimore was going to the aquarium there. And I remember going, that's not happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's not, I'm not going if you're, if you are gonna do this. So we went uh, whale watching, which is in, we're viewing the animals in their natural habitat. Um, And I remember always wanting a dog and eventually having my mom cave to like, okay, we'll foster. (laughs) And um, before that, I had really wanted to work at a shelter, but I was too young. They usually had um, a minimum requirement of 18 or you could be younger, but you need like a parent there to like oversee. And my mom was working or she had other things. And so I actually was looking up shelters and rescues in my area and a sanctuary popped up on Google because it had the name Rescue in in the title. It's Skylands Farm Sanctuary and Rescue. And I was like, oh, what's this. And Mm -hmm. um, my mom and I took a tour and Mike who runs the sanctuary is very informative on his tour. He does not hold back whatsoever. He starts going into great detail about every industry. And I remember just being like, horrified. And I remember at one point I turned to my mom and I was like, did he talk about gassing chicks? And she was like, yeah, I thought I heard that too. And we were like, what is going on? Um, so after that, <laughs> after that, I was like, um, obviously I don't want to be eating anything that comes from animals or, you know, like I know more about these industries now. Um, but I had a lot of food allergies to plant-based proteins and thought it couldn't be vegan. And so for a while I was just like, I would I would post stuff on social media about the industries that like I wasn't involved in. So like stuff about like, I remember I shared something about PETA's investigation of like where cow skin comes from and cars and like rodeo stuff. And um, it got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm still eating dairy though. Like I, I never really liked dairy, but I would have it in like Hershey's and, and um, ice cream. And I was like, well, what's my excuse for eating dairy? Because I'm not doing that for protein. So I cut that out. And so then I started posting about like dairy stuff because I, I felt like I had more of a weight to stand on with that. Cause I'm like not eating dairy. Um, and I was looking for activism events in my area and they were all either really far away or they're on Saturday which I grew up as an Orthodox Jew so like we don't drive on Saturday and I finally found an anonymous for the Voiceless Cubo Truth in New York City and I remember I went and I didn't tell anyone I wasn't vegan and <laughs> and I was like okay well I can't do outreach because if someone asked me like Oh, like, how'd you go vegan? Or what do you do as a vegan? I tell them like, well, I'm not, that's not going to go over well. So I just like held the screen for a couple hours. And um, I remember I was like so excited about that because there was like a famous person that came by that was like talking to people about about the footage. And um, yeah, eventually I was I outgrew one of my allergies, uh, which was beans and i remember i was at like an anti dairy protest it was after the fairlife investigation for anyone who knows about it and um i remember just being surrounded by people that were vegan like you know protesting coca cola which owns fairlife or owned fairlife at the time and i was just like okay i always assumed i couldn't be vegan and never actually tried especially after i outgrew my allergies um, and I was just like, OK, well, everyone else is living in alignment with what they're advocating for. Like, I have to just try. And then, you know, that's the story. <laughs>
0: Long story short. That, that, that's awesome. I love that's that. Awesome. Um, we, we've been hearing a lot more from some of our uh, more experienced advocates about, you know, welcoming in people like yourself who maybe weren't fully there yet. But, you know, um, yeah. talked to even uh, Joey Karpstrom, I think it was uh, previously, you know, you're saying about with the cubes, you know, and even just going there and as you did, you know, holding the TVs, you don't have to be fully there yet, but it's going to help make that connection. So it's so beautiful that you, you've had this journey and yeah, I love it.
1: And brave, which, let's face it, that's you all over with your advocacy. uh, The the more, you know, you've only got to follow Mira on her socials and you'll see that she is one brave young activist. But but here at Vegan FTA, we strive to support our global community of activists by aiming to create a brave space where we can acknowledge, celebrate, and speak on our differences in pursuit of becoming a united liberation movement. As founder of Tikva for Animals, you are doing incredible work in changing how animals are viewed and treated in Australia and Jewish communities worldwide in order to enhance our audience's ability to advocate with compassion for all I feel that learning about the struggles of advocating for animals as a member of the Jewish community could be helpful I mean I had no idea until you just said that you know you can't drive on Saturdays would you mind sharing why it was that you chose to create Tikva for animals and some of your experience advocating outside of that safe space that you've created for Jewish activists
2: yeah, um thank you for the question. I was very involved in the advocacy community. I was essentially a full-time activist without like being paid to be one. I was just like spending all my time doing activism. <laughs> and it got to a point especially over COVID where people were posting more on social media because they were home. I started seeing people's views on things and quickly realized a lot of the people that I was associating with, people I considered mentors, were harboring very hateful views towards like Israelis or Jews or thinking Jews were doing this this and this that was like not factually true and so i remember being added to an instagram group chat with like other vegan Jews and we were all talking about that we were seeing similar issues and um their issues might have been like different corners of the vegan community because they might not have been doing like necessarily activism they might have just seen stuff on social media or um, you know like vegan meetups, but it was very clear that this was like a common issue and that people were leaving activist spaces because more not less less leaving and more like being pushed out because they're basically like I'm not safe and everyone else was like too bad. <laughs> so um, so it was just sad to see and I, I didn't want to stop doing activism, but I also didn't feel very knowledgeable to like start my own thing. So I was looking at what existed, and I really didn't see anything that was kind of in line with what I had already been doing, but in the Jewish community. So direct action, focusing on systematic change, um, you know, kind of top down as focus as opposed to focusing on getting individuals to go vegan, getting people to get into the streets and be active and help hold com- um, companies accountable and law you know changing laws and stuff like that. And so I was looking around and the existing Jewish organizations focused more on like um, vegan advocacy, adding vegan options to synagogues, stuff like that. But there wasn't really activism. And most of the work happening in Israel was also focused on veganism. And so I was like, okay, there's definitely a space that needs to be filled. And there's also not a lot addressing like what's happening on facilities to animals that are then packaged as kosher because a lot of the investigations coming out and documentaries can be easily dismissed by the Jewish community or those that keep kosher by saying like, well, these aren't kosher facilities. It could be different, which we know there's still suffering happening there, but there could be differences in that maybe some of the standard industry practices are a bit different because of Jewish law. Like but you wouldn't know what's actually happening unless there are investigations. So um, I also wanted to address that whole kosher topic. Mm
0: -hmm. It's it's fantastic what you're doing. And um, it's one of the things I think with uh, any sort of movement, you've got people coming from so many different backgrounds that there's different uh, isms and other sort of traits um, that, they haven't yet you know, aligned that with their veganism. And so uh, hopefully many people will be doing that um, and we'll be building a much stronger movement for it and we'll be more compassionate to everyone. And we get what you mean with uh, over here, in New Zealand is one of the biggest exporters of um, halal meats and mm-hmm. um, for the, the butcheries and stuff like, 98% like
1: that. 98% of our meat is, is halal.
0: And, and we we know like a lot of them they're not adhering to those um those practices with the the prayers and such and I know halal is more uh, associated with um the Muslim Islam sort of uh, religion but you know the, those practices aren't necessarily being upheld everywhere unless mm. you have inve- yes investigations into That's it right. and unless someone's really watching them and so um, well, the slaughterhouse
1: workers don't want to be slaughtering animals this mm. way because it is very, you know, awful not there's a humane way but yeah you know
0: yeah but they all i think all meaties give that same excuse of uh, it's the you know i'm not it's not that not our one from down the road that's just a terrible one over in some foreign land that, that's no, not in my
2: backyard yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but we're not doing that no no we can't be terrible people us but <laughs> but no it's fantastic what you're doing and i i love um everything that is going on with Tikva for animals and especially you've had a big focus lately on um Hopefully, I, I pronounce this right. Uh, Kapiros? kaporus.
2: There's multiple pronunciations depending on like where you're coming from. So Israelis will call it kaparot, but in in America and stuff like that, yes, Kapiros. Kapiros.
0: yeah, it's Oh well, um, thank you for clarifying that. But I understand part of this uh, tradition has, um, you know, it's leading to a bit of contention within the Jewish community itself as to whether chickens should be used or not. Um, so for our audience, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what this ritual is about and how Tikva for Animals is helping to end the use of chickens within it.
2: Yeah, so Kaparos is a ritual that's done right after the Jewish New Year that it can be done with coins, can be done with chickens. Historically, I think it's even been done with fish, depending on the community and where their ancestors were before current day. And um, yeah, it, it involves what uh, whatever you're holding or whoever you're holding, um, holding in your hand and waving around your head three times, reciting a prayer and then donating to charity. So if it's coins, that money goes to someone like, you know, some charity, like a poor person to be able to eat. If it's a uh, chicken, then they are slaughtered and then supposed to be donated to have a person eat them. There are many problems in what's happening nowadays, including it's been shown in different communities that the chickens aren't even donated to the poor. They're just thrown out because of the mass amounts of chickens being slaughtered. And there's like no refrigeration at these sites in some locations. So it's like not even possible for them to be donating chickens to eat because they would have gone bad and, you know, bacteria, I guess. Um, But What I think a lot of people who are advocating against the use of chickens don't understand is that the communities that are currently using chickens have been using them for so long and they don't see it as an option to just switch to coins. Even though there are other Jewish communities that are using coins, in their mind, it's been a tradition for so long, it's basically enacted into Jewish law. Because there is a concept that, like, what rabbis have determined as okay, like, you know, you keep that custom. And so what we were trying to do, and I was spending a lot of time was like talking to rabbis and doing research as to, excuse me, as to what was actually, like, I guess the requirements of the custom and what's actually happening nowadays and violations of Jewish law with the practice nowadays and how, like, there's a concept that you can't like violate a Jewish law for a custom because Jewish law is like i guess more important than a custom. And so I was just trying to like basically build like a case as to why obviously the animal cruelty is enough, but for these communities to be able to go to the rabbis and be like you care about Jewish law, these are all the problems and proof of these issues that it's not in line with your own values to continue doing it this way. And we basically this past year it happened in end of, end of September beginning of October. And this year it was basically like a test run to see our theories and like our approach to see how that would work on the ground and just gain knowledge from that moving forward on like where we're standing because there haven't been... um, there, you know, there are people condemning the use of chickens in the Jewish community, but it's not like Jews as a community are standing up and like trying to actively stop it. It's more like sharing stuff on social media, sharing um, statements that rabbis have said, but there's not like necessarily a huge Jewish presence at these activism events unless you're in Israel. And and um sorry, I'm just trying to think of my train of thought. <laughs> and sadly, there weren't a lot of people stepping up. This year, I think a lot of it is because some of the advocates that are in these spaces that aren't Jewish have said and done some not great things towards the Jewish community. So Jews, like, don't really want to associate with them. Um, but we did have people step up and we were there in New York this year and we were not trying to do anything to... Um, out there this year like we're, we're just trying to build rapport with the community so we were doing a lot of outreach and discussions and again trying to see where everyone was at and we showed up even before the ritual site we were specifically in one Jewish community we showed up before they used chickens because they only use it like the last couple of days um and we were doing outreach just to like, again, kind of build rapport with the community. And we had someone that stopped, my friend got her number, she uses chickens. And we ended up meeting up with her later in the week. And we were talking to her. And she was talking about how it's very problematic the way it's being done. And even though I'm not a welfareist at all, I still thought it was like a really great step to a like have gotten the number from someone that was walking by and like my friend outreached and having her sit down with us and talk about what we're having an issue with and what we're seeing and have her talk about okay like I completely agree especially the way the chickens are being held like that's not even how historically like the rabbi of the community did it and and um she basically said which I think is amazing because I think it's it's a place of stepping stone she's at least willing to do like take action she was like if you want I could put posters up at these sites like saying like teaching people how to properly hold the chickens and like while I'm not a welfareist at all I thought that was a really great sign of of you know someone's willing to take action you can kind of work with that (laughs) and get her to a point where seeing that this isn't like reformable especially nowadays It's, it's just not possible the animals are suffering no matter what just their existence is suffering because of how they're bred, these chickens. And then on top of that, you know, you're trucking them in to the city and you're waving them around. And then they're held without food or water sometimes just because of the amount of chickens, not everyone's getting water. Um, and then we're able to save two lives and yeah, just reassessing everything, trying to figure out if New York is the best location to focus on because it's, It's it's I think a lot this community is already on high alert just because they're in the diaspora and they're more they've dealt with more hate crimes and stuff like that. So they're already on high alert of like people trying to change things or coming into the community, even if it's other Jews, they just are holding their customs even more tightly because they're not like around as many other Jews and as many other Jewish communities. So we're looking into maybe. If, if this is what we're gonna focus on, at least right now, doing that in Israel because there are more Jewish communities to choose from and it's easier to find, I guess, like a better starting point, if that makes sense
1: yeah absolutely absolutely it must be I mean good on you it must be very daunting to go up against an age-old tradition like that and you know one of my favorite sayings is tradition is just peer pressure from dead people you know but it, it takes a lot to break those traditions and good on you for for doing that and you know you have a wonderful way of of getting through to people in the most unexpected scenarios which we will also talk about as, as we go along but um I'm interested to know how can activists outside of the Jewish community, you've mentioned some just before, but how how can we best support the annals and you during Kaparos? Is it, um, you know, are there any do's and don'ts as to how we're best to conduct ourselves and advocate surrounding this religious ceremony? Because I wouldn't have a clue going in a situation like that.
2: Yeah, I, I really think that people can really help with, you know, like taking in chickens that are rescued and transporting the chickens to safety, donating to their care. I really do think it's important for the Jewish community to step up. And right now, because there are different groups that are focusing on this ritual that aren't Jewish, Jews aren't stepping up as much, whether that's because of the anti-Semitism that they know coming from some people or just they're like oh someone else is already doing it but i think people inside the jewish community have a certain knowledge of how the community functions and what arguments will work better and just have more connections and so i do think it's really important for the jewish community to step up and i think to do so people would maybe just have to platform them more or like take a step back and and help them speak up more which i'm not saying oh the, the advocates currently advocating for the chickens that are being used during Kaparos are, you know, they should stop and then no one else is gonna step up. I think it's definitely someone needs to step up, but I do think that not just because of the anti-Semitism piece, but I, I think there's the advantage of people inside the Jewish community just having more to work with, with the previous things I mentioned.
0: So yeah, I suppose uh, tread very carefully, and yeah, as you say, support your platform, support those activists who are there doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, we're, we're well, we're proud to support you here at Vegan FTA and help give you the platform and uh, see yeah. you do that wonderful work. And even just from your, your previous story, about I, I, I know for us being abolitionists as well, it can be you know frustrating with just welfare, but like to see even just that conversation starting in such a a a sort of a a tight community is great, and hopefully that will lead to to better things down the road. But But, you're
1: leading others will surely follow. (laughs) It just takes someone to start, doesn't it? Take that brave step.
2: Exactly.
0: Well, as an organization which encourages activists to use a range of tactics to explore how to be as effective as possible, uh, seeing that you've advocated on this point in the past, I feel it's prudent to ask about the use of Holocaust in our activism language. While this may not be a comfortable conversation for some, we feel it's very valuable to be addressing this tactic um, because it may be doing more harm uh, than, than they are helping, you know, with using this. So would you be willing to speak on uh, some activists' insistence to use the term Holocaust when referring to mass animal slaughter and how it's affected yourself and the communities you're part of?
2: Sure. So I never actually actively used that word, um, but I, looking back at like my Story archives on Instagram, I shared something that used it. So it was like that quote, like, what you would do during slavery, the Holocaust, or maybe it was like the women's suffrage movement, like, is what you're doing right now. And I would defend the use of Holocaust. Like, I remember my mom was upset about it, and I was like trying to argue, like, well, I mean, look at what's happening. <laughs> and then it came to a point where I saw how widespread the anti Semitism was in the animal rights community, and just seeing even outside of that, the lack of knowledge about the Holocaust of what happened to Jews and other people in Nazi Germany and seeing that people were either didn't know much about it or were actively um, like in support of another one, I guess with all the swastikas that pop up everywhere or people were, things were starting to rile up again in the sense that like the Jewish community knows what the steps were leading up to the Holocaust and that it didn't just like, it didn't just pop up out of nowhere. And so seeing things kind of progress to like where God forbid something could happen again, I was like, okay, so people are talking about what's happening to animals, but these people often aren't talking about what's happening to the Jewish community. And so The problem is, for me at least, with Holocaust is that they're trying to get people's minds away from what happened to Nazi Germany and talk about what's happening to animals currently. But people haven't learned really what from what's what happened to Nazi Germany, and it's certainly not stopping the progression of what's currently going on. And so, like, I'll agree that what's happening to animals, you know, could constitute the actual definition, like the dictionary definition of Holocaust. It's just I think. People right now do to some degree associate it with Nazi Germany. And I think as long as people are not really learning from it and like actively stopping things from happening the way they're progressing, I think it is, it could be problematic to then try to like move that word on to a new community. And I also would say that the Jewish community doesn't always agree on everything, but when it comes to Holocaust comparisons, there's a very big consensus and that it's problematic. And I've seen advocates talk about, well, it's cause they're not human animals. That's why they have a problem with it. No, <laughs> the Jewish community, whether the comparisons being used for humans or not, like it's just across the board for, for many, many people is problematic. And it's like intergenerational traumas in their DNA. So when they hear that term being used, like they just, it's either triggering some trauma response or they don't want to hear about it. And so that kind of, I guess, would go into what I'm talking about with like just the strategy point of it is that for many Jews in their minds, they're not even going to a place of like having an open conversation when that's brought up. Like they're, they're already thinking about like what they associated it with. And it's very deeply tied to like their their generations, um, previous generations trauma, their, their knowledge of what's happening nowadays. And it's, it's a whole ball of yarn that like, to get inside of that and try to like use that to advocate for animals, I think is like causing more of a struggle than necessary, because I think there are other ways to advocate for animals. You could talk about how Jewish law supports that. Like if you're trying to get the Jewish community consider animals Um, instead of necessarily using like trauma to to compare like, oh, you obviously don't want the Holocaust to happen again to your people. Don't support harm happening to animals. And as well as I would say, it's interesting. A lot of the people using this term are very much focusing on individual change. So like individuals consuming differently, purchasing differently. And a lot of these people are focusing very much on that when that is, I feel like there's so many different approaches to helping animals and individual focusing and in activism that focuses on individual consumerism is like one approach. So when people say like, you know, using the term Holocaust is gonna like make or break if someone goes vegan, like that's first of all, not necessarily true, but also that's not the only way to help animals. So someone could put their effort towards getting like i said before like comp- there are other ways you can focus on laws you can focus on trying to create court cases you can focus on investigations stuff like that where focusing on individual consumerism is not necessarily like the only approach so i just always found that interesting that a lot of people using that terminology are very much focused on that form of activism and i don't know how much they know about other types and other like what they call like theories of change which
0: is a whole other subject yeah oh wow well thank you so much for clearing that up yes um, thank you yeah i know in the there's an article you did which i think we can find through your bio i'll link um to your instagram in a minute for the comments uh but i was with the vegan review and they've made that point as well about um yeah unless someone is literally carrying around a dictionary they're going to refer back to what they they associate the holocaust with and even for me, I grew up in the UK, and so in uh, history class, it was so much about World War Two that, of course, that's where my mind goes straight straight away as soon as that word comes up. And so, yeah, unless I have the dictionary on me, I'm not going to look it up and see what the actual definition is. So, um, yeah, more harm than help, I think, folks. So, um,
1: Exactly. Um, and language, the use of language is so important. It, even just a single word, and it doesn't have to be such a big word as even Holocaust, but I know for myself, you know, I always stay – well clear of anything that i don't know about or i don't understand and that is one of them i can't possibly begin to understand you know uh that that kind of of, a huge you know area to to even go down as a, a form of activism you know good on people that that do try and get across to people that way but yeah for me it's kind of like stick. I'm sticking close to home sticking with what I know and words are so so very important so thank you for that insight, that's really really valuable but to continue on with working with others and not against, you have been part of a fantastic collaboration with our friends and partners at the Animal Activism Mentorship. After instigating a petition to ban glue glue traps at Home Depot stores as you mentioned, you went viral with the in-store protests and you've even been nominated for Peter's Libby award yay what is the current status of the glue trap ban as it stands at the moment and how can people get involved if we're still waiting for that ban
2: yeah so animal activism mentorship has like amazingly they did a demo during one of their convergences in atlanta which is the headquarters where the headquarters of home depot is um and i wasn't there in person but their video went viral on multiple platforms from the action they did I think it was because of like a combination of the fact that they're like in a home improvement store doing a disruption and people are like, wait, what? The fact that a lot of the animals being harmed with what they were advocating for are typically not advocated for. So, you know, rodents, mice, rats, snakes, maybe birds. And then I think also just what was happening at that time period, people were just like, why are you advocating for that when there are other things going on? And so went viral on Reddit, Instagram, and TikTok. And it was amazing because I was just going through the TikTok comments. And there were a lot of people that were like supportive. And then there were a lot of people that were just confused as to what the problem with glue traps were. So that was like a great opportunity for me to discuss. Sorry, my nose is really itchy. Um, <laughs> it was a great opportunity for me to discuss like the problems with them and then direct them to like. The petition which has more information about the problems and the solutions and then they would just sign it <laughs> um back to your question currently the petition has over 60,000 signers or signatures and um I've been trying to get people to like get out in person because it's a huge company they have more than 2,000 stores like a petition's not going to cut it necessarily and the great part about Home Depot is that they're in like so many places in Northern America that someone will most likely have one near them to like go protest or stand outside with the store, a uh, stand outside the store with a sign or, or speak to a manager, showing them the petition and asking them to go to their higher ups, like just whatever they want to do, and and um. For whatever reason, people have not, there have been a couple of communities and, and organizers and attendees that have stepped up, but people for the most part are not very much focusing on this topic, um, which is disappointing because again, like I said, there, there are stores near so many people that they could just pop on over one day and It's something that I think needs like consistent pressure, at least, or at least pressure from people in different communities and different cities for them to see that this is like something not going away. And it's a very easy ask. They're even selling other traps for animals. Like we're not even saying like, stop selling all animal traps, which I have a problem with. But I think right now there are so many countries and stores that are banning glue traps. This is like an easy, obvious ask. And they sell so many products anyhow that are just have nothing to do with animals that it should be like obvious that they could just drop it and they haven't yet. <laughs> no. Come on Home Depot, get your, get your
1: stuff together. Well,
0: yeah. And then uh, come on, come on folks in the audience as well. If, if we're not already backing this, we need to be back in, in our local areas and uh, well, we'll be backing you from, from afar. Unfortunately, we don't have home. Well, fortunately, unfortunately we don't have Home Depot out yeah. here, but um, yeah, I will be on the, the lookout for glue traps in Bunnings and, um, to 10 our, our local versions yes, basically yes. of it
1: thank you for raising so, awareness um, of it i didn't even realize it was even a thing until i heard of your yeah. campaign yeah so, uh, i remember going to
2: that store and seeing all the rat traps like the standard rat traps and just thinking that they're awful you know like the ones with i guess the spring and then one day a house i was living in apparently the person that owned the house like put a glue trap in outside and everyone that I was living with was like, came running over to me and like, you need to help this bird, this baby bird that got stuck in the glue trap. And I was like, what? So this bird was like stuck by his face to the trap was trying to get out. And there was like blood and feathers. And I just like, I got the, I didn't know what I was doing. Apparently I did the right thing by using oil to get the bird out. And then like brought them to a sanctuary that was then um, coordinating with a wildlife rescue that picked up the bird. But I learned a lot about glue traps from that, that, First of all, they're awful. I started learning more about, you know, it's prolonged suffering for the animals. And I also learned that it's not just the intended species that gets stuck in them. And so when I went back to Home Depot, I was like, oh, I wonder if they're selling them. I wonder if they're still selling the other rat traps they saw and they were. And at that point, I had already decided to start TikTok for animals, and I really wanted to gain more experience, like running bigger campaigns. And I wanted Home Depot to stop selling blue traps because they're such a big store. I think it would have a big impact, and it would also lead to their competitors maybe dropping them too. So I decided to focus on glue traps for that reason.
0: Yeah, well, it's one of the great things um, seeing with the activism is is the use of those pressure campaigns and seeing where you've got the potential for a win and going after it and um, Yeah, once again, like with the glue traps, although it's not stopping all animal traps is opening people to the cruelty that goes on with that. And hopefully then they'll extend that out to the other ones. And so, yeah, it's fantastic. And I I think you had a are you still doing that? I think it's the challenge to put the put the little post-it notes on all the boxes around the store.
2: Yeah, I was like trying to come up with creative ideas. I understand that everyone wants to organize like a disruption or even a protest, especially if they haven't done it before. And so, I was thinking of like individual p- ways people could take action and like not have it be as scary or as likely to like have police show up. And so I was like, okay, like you go to Home Depot, that's probably like 15 minutes away from your house, you put sticky notes on the, on the, the glue trap so you can write stuff and then I think it's not just leaving the sticky notes there it's taking a photo and then posting it on social media and tagging Home Depot so they like know that you're there <laughs> or that you were there and um yeah it was cool to see who did it again sadly like not a lot of people stepped up thank you to the ones that did Um, it's still you can still do it because the campaign's not over Um, but yeah if you don't have a Home Depot near you like I was also doing like because I'm in Israel right now, I was also doing it from where I am, just posting a photo of me holding a sticky note or or a sign and then tagging Home Depot there because Home Depot has three social media accounts like for their main Home Depot part. So it's like Home Depot and then there's Home Depot Mexico and Home Depot Canada. And Home Depot Canada definitely sees stuff. Like even if you DM them, you can get a response. And um, they definitely have been seeing I think the posts because they turned off like at least one of the accounts turned off the mentions, like what posts tag you. <laughs> yeah.
0: oh, fantastic. So, uh, it's, it's always so great as an activist to, to see those sort of things happening with their accounts. And You're so a um, bit of homework for you folks. And, and I know personally, uh, having worked in a hardware store, uh, Bunnings are sort of the Australian, New Zealand sort of version for many years. the The sticky notes, the post-it notes on the shelves, Often will last there a long time because that's what they're using often for stock takes and things like that. And so quite often you'll see the sticky notes will be there, and then that's just like, Oh, yeah, someone's been counting that, and I'm not gonna worry about it. So um and it's yeah. such
1: big stores, it's not like you can get everywhere and mm. monitor every single one thing.
0: Also, I don't know if they use um like over here, they use all the metal sort of framing and uh as like sort of the big shelves, and so we used to also for stock taking use white pencils um to just write on on the metal there as well, and so um. Yeah, I, I'm not giving anyone any ideas, but those white pencils on the metal as well, um, that, that used to last quite a long time too. And we would have so- been
1: right there cool, with our sticky notes mirror if we could have been. And that's one of the things I just love about all of your activism is if you see something that needs doing, something that is wrong and injustice being done somewhere, you don't say all oh, that sad and hope that somebody else does it. You just go in and get it started yourself which is wonderful and another thing that I love about you and, and also the AAM is you know the collaborations like you said you're in Israel the, the AAM are in the U.S. and together you managed to make this huge campaign happen and go viral you know it, it's fantastic what happens when we all work together
0: like that. Yeah. We have the power to create a lot of change if we work together folks and so yeah I'm so happy for everyone tuning in with this today um, but Talking about tuning in as well, um, as a young activist, you seem to have a brilliant grasp on uh, the use of social media for your activism. Um, Have you found a particular platform that is most effective for you? And for anybody wanting to follow you, uh, how can we best support the content that you're putting out?
2: So thank you for the question. I had a friend tell me towards the beginning of the pandemic, like get on TikTok. I just had a video go viral. And I did, and I think my first video went viral. And I was like, okay, what is this? (laughs) Need to keep posting. And so I kept getting videos go viral. And I think eventually like I stopped posting and then it was really hard to pick it back up. And by the time I tried posting again, it was a lot more saturated. There were a lot more people on the platform and it was harder to go viral. So I'm kind of like stuck at the same follower account and not really getting many views. Um, Maybe for people starting a new account, it might be better on TikTok, but I found it like really great to connect with people, especially like people in animal agriculture, which is a separate conversation that we might get to. Um, But Instagram, I think is great. They have Instagram reels, which I've also had go viral. And I think it's also great to like connect with people there because with TikTok, you can't necessarily send each other private messages unless you, I think, both follow each other or someone could send you a private message, but you don't need to accept it. So it's easier on that front to be on Instagram. And um, I even use Pinterest. I had a video of me like putting like a QR code sticker on cheese, I think it was. And it like took you to a video of the dairy industry. And I had that on my Pinterest and like a bunch of people were like what is that like it somehow got a lot of views and like a bunch of comments so that was really random um but yeah Instagram is is my focus a lot I try to keep very much updated on like the different strategies people use to create content and different ways to create like a community because my goal with tick with Instagram is really to get people vegan or not to like take action wherever that is whether it's social media or not So I try to provide like helpful tips on like how to actually get started because that was one thing I was always wondering, like I would see like PETA's young advocates list and be like, well, how did they get to where they are? And just like not having like tangible steps I could take. So I really try to provide that and then just sharing like different calls to action and giving people opportunities to get involved from their phone. (laughs) Um, If people want to support me, I guess just share the content I'm putting out to get it to a wider audience. That would be amazing. Or if there's a call to action on some of my posts, like tag more people, especially if it's like a Home Depot post, like tag more people so they can see this and take action. That would be amazing.
0: brilliant
1: i love it i love your content it's very interactive it's very engaging it's very upbeat even when you're talking about horrible stuff it's still upbeat so that you mm. keep watching uh which is fantastic you. and you know when you and i first connected i think it was earlier this year it feels like it's been a while now but i think it, i think it was this year that yeah. we, we first connected and i was just blown away to hear of the amazing success that you'd already had with reaching out and communicating with farmers and through instagram of all things i mean having spoken to you and you know i've i've, I've heard your, your success which we will, will share in a minute but as a former farmer myself I've never met somebody outside the industry who has not been a farmer themselves be able to tune in and be so in tune and, and so open and I don't know whether empathetic is the right word. It must be. I don't know, but but you've you've got something really special. And that just stood out a mile to me. It just blew me away. I find your experiences so inspiring and encouraging every time I hear you talk about them. I've been lucky enough to hear them already, but would you be able to share some of those wins with our audience?
2: Yeah, thank you so much for the kind compliments. <laughs> um, yeah, so I during the pandemic, I had a couple friends that had commented on a farmers post. I don't remember what exactly the post was i think it was something with her one of her children and the dairy cows she had on her property something about how much she loves them and their focus was trying to get her to go vegan and they had basically commented like well what happens when the mother cows are done producing milk what did you do with the males and whatever it however the conversation started um I believe within 11 days of that original post, she made a new post saying, I'm done with dairy farming and I'm vegan. And I remember just being in complete shock. And everyone that knew about the story was like trying to support her. And like, you know, she was getting all these new like vegan followers and like people just being like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I remember thinking like, okay, there's something there. And then I was posting TikTok videos and... um I posted like a compilation of different footage I gotten from dairy farms. And I had a farmer comment like, basically you don't know what you're talking about. We love them. And I was still very much in the mindset of like what I used to do, which was kind of following what was, I guess, trendy and still is trendy in certain spaces. Kind of like the, <laughs> it's almost like shaming. Like if if they say that they care about the animals instead of being like, okay, you care about them. like. Sh- talk about how you care about them what are you willing to do about that it's more like well no you don't look at what you do um so I responded back like pretty aggressively I guess like well you clearly don't care about them and then it kind of turned it didn't turn into an argument but like I saw it wasn't productive and something switched where I was like okay wait she's telling me that she cares about the animals and so I figured, you know, maybe she thinks she's doing the best for them, but has she ever been to a sanctuary? Like that could completely show her that there's an alternative and like compared to what she's doing, the animals are very much put first at a sanctuary. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she was like, "Oh, I live in Sweden, there aren't any." So I was like looking up sanctuaries and I tagged someone I knew that lived in Sweden and by the end of the conversation, she was basically saying, we need more sanctuaries in my country. And I remember going, what on earth just happened? Because <laughs> the first comment that she left was like, you don't know what you're talking about. Educate yourself, sweetie. And I, by the end, it was like, we need more sanctuaries. And I. that combined with the event that happened when my friends outreached the dairy farmer on Instagram, I was like, okay, there needs to be something here. Like, imagine if there were way more people doing this. Because... Most of us don't live in rural areas where there are animal farmers. And so it's not like we'll come across industry members on a regular daily basis, like in person, but there's so many industry members that are posting about their work on social media and you can connect with them there. So I was trying to come up with like almost like a course, because I know there's Renee from Rowdy Girl Sanctuary and Rancher's Advocacy Program, who um, her and her husband switched over their Their business of uh, selling animals to slaughter to a sanctuary and helping other ranchers do the same. And then there's Jason from, I believe it's Liberation Destination, Destination Liberation. I think it's Destination Liberation. I always get a little bit. I apologize. Um, Where he will work with small dairy farmers who will otherwise kill the males and will work with them. They'll call him when they have a male calf born and he will bring them to sanctuary. And so I was thinking of like all these different situations of people I know in the community that to some degree, work with farmers, whatever that may be, to help animals. And so I was trying to put like a course together that people could watch, but like it didn't really work. And I kind of put that to the side. Like I was really upset because I I still thought like it's COVID. Everyone was on social media. Imagine if we were like having productive conversation with farmers. And then I saw your post, Jackie, on Sentient Media's was it the Writers Collective? I'm trying to remember. I think it was. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, amazing. Like, uh, let's see, like, if you know anybody and you put me in touch with Tati and yeah, we started Farm Transition Academy and I'm so grateful for you <laughs> and your story. so
1: grateful to you guys. So yeah, to make the connection. I can't even remember what the post was. I think it was just something about if anyone wants any insight into was it the mind of a dairy farmer or psyche yeah. or something like that? That that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but that was wonderful. Who knew? Who knew how huh? what that would lead to? I'm so glad.
0: <laughs> so it's great to, to hear your story of how you're able to communicate. And, yeah, we, we can all jump on that hate train very easily. Um, we see it all too much within within all of our vegan sort of communities. But taking that time to actually acknowledge what they're saying and then react to it. I suppose uh, many of us look to people like Earthling Ed and stuff as great outreach speakers, and we all comment on how they use the Socratic method in those outreach. Well, use it in the comment section too, and, and that, that's what you do in there. It's fantastic, and you get the results from it, and it's brilliant. And so, I, I do wonder, like, if if you have any. Um, any sort of secrets, any sort of tips for doing it? Would you say um, it's, it's advisable to reach out to farmers or is it more a case of you wait for them to come to you before trying to sort of start a um, a conversation?
2: So I've tried both. There are like multiple <clears throat> multiple ways, I think. They're having them come to you. You can search them out. So I actually have a list of like dairy, not dairy farmers, any, any, any industry members that I think are like more... I guess, prime to be open to it. There are certain indicators that I found that might, they might be more open to hearing what I have to say or like the conversation. And so some of those things can be, <clears throat> especially on TikTok where they post videos, you can see, I've seen ones where farmer talk about how like the calves are their best friends or they have, they're calling them by names and not numbers or um they're talking about how they hate sending their animals to slaughter or one of them was even following like a plant-based food account and I was like add to the list <laughs> um of like people to reach out to um I've done before this one I just didn't really invest a lot of like effort into this one so something could have come of it but like just engaging with their content um one was like of a calf and I was just talking about how cute the calf was <laughs> just trying to like get some before I reached out to them get some content where it's like they might have preconceived notions about me if I just reach out. Um, Most of what I've done has been um either waiting for them to come to me or seeing them. One of them was seeing them argue with the vegan in their, com in the, the vegans comment section. And it was not going well. It was, it was like this shame arguing cycle. And, and at that time I was like looking for people to outreach. So I was like, Oh, like, okay. Like, I would love to hear more about your experiences. Like, can I private message you? And he was like, sure. And like, we've been in touch for months now. Um, <laughs> and the conversation was really interesting in that he shared things that I don't think would have come out if I had taken the approach, like I used to, which was, you know, more like blaming. And he was talking about how he had to do CPR in a calf and he like, wasn't able to save the calf's life. And he was like, really, really upset about it. And how he doesn't like sending the animals to slaughter. And we were just talking about, I guess, I think he does dairy farming, that that's not the only source of income. And I think he's very much like, this is going to sound harsh, but I think he's very much misinformed about things. Like he very much cares about the environment, but for some reason thinks that somehow like plant-based farming is awful. Whole another story. So like, I was just like trying to get through on that angle. And like, it was clear that like, he saw different sources as reliable. And so I was trying to focus on like, okay, you don't wanna send your animals to slaughter. I was uh, offering to connect him with Lawrence, who Jackie knows, cause we did yeah, an event so. together. Um, I was trying to connect him with someone that had already gone through the farm transition space. Um, in the meantime, he was just asking questions of like my perspective as someone who's like in the animal rights community and just asking questions about like what vegans think about things. And I think just keeping an open line has been really important because it's been, you know, while I haven't seen him like transition or anything, I think it's really important to keep that conversation open because it's maybe just normalizing these conversations for him and also like providing him with resources and people he can talk to. Um, So yeah, sometimes I'll like seek out posts where I know that there'll be discussion and kind of like insert myself there. Um, On TikTok, I've seen posts where especially if you like start looking at farm videos, more will pop up. And so I found videos where someone posts about like having to shut down their farm. And in the comment section, there are a lot of other people going like, oh, we have to do that too. And so you're just seeing a bunch of farmers leaving the industry. And that's where I've been reaching out and being like, okay, like we're here if if you want support because they could just go to another industry or not, but either way, I think getting them looped in with the animal rights community and providing resources for them is is really helpful, even if they didn't leave for an ethical reason. So I've taken advantage of those videos where they're like are struggling financially and they need help. Um, so that's something you can kind of seek out like and leave a comment there. Um, if you can't private message them, like especially on TikTok, not everyone you can private message.
0: Oh, that's, that's a brilliant tactic. I love that. Um, I will highly recommend folks. Um, please do go check out the farm transition panel that we did recently, um, where we covered a lot more into this subject and more of things you can educate yourself on before talking to farmers so that then when they say, what's the solution, you have some of those solutions for it. Mm-hmm. And we also talked a lot about that, that whole conditioning that so many farmers are under, and the fact is they've got, you know, they've got the, the industry itself, the animal ag industry saying, you know, you're doing a great thing. We're proud of you. you. You feed the nation. You've got the government doing the same thing. You've got little kids at school learning how how great animal farmers are and stuff. They have all of this stuff built up, backing up that the idea, that philosophy that they currently have. And so for us coming in, yelling at them.
1: <laughs> they dreadful people yeah.
0: it, it doesn't it doesn't help a lot and so please um folks please do check out the farm transition panel that we did just recently it gives a lot more in-depth into that but i i love i i wish we had uh we'd done this interview before because then i'd know more about my targeting so now i've got the solutions now i've got the targeting so it's good.
1: <laughs> i'm gonna
0: be having a lot of fun i think um coming up soon on, uh, on tiktok and all sorts so um i love yeah. the switch that you made though
1: you know in seeing farmers they are fellow human beings no matter what and not all of them want to be in this industry in the first place they all have different reasons of of how they ended up there and you see them as humans I think a lot of us vegans and activists we don't give them credit for having a brain even let alone a conscience and feelings you know and there are more and more farmers that are showing that this isn't true and that they don't want to be slaughtering animals and they you know they don't want to be you know they may not have made all those connections yet but everybody's got to start somewhere, right? And, you know, it's it's a very special skill that you have, like I said. But this year has been another fantastic year for your activism. I'm not sure how we can really go about picking a, a particular achievement because there's so many, but a definite highlight, like you say, has been collaborating with the brilliant Tati von Reinbarben to form the Farm Transition Academy, where you host regular workshops featuring some of the biggest change makers in the farm transition sphere. This is such an important um, and needed resource So both of you two are so driven, so passionate. You always go the extra mile. You do your research, meticulously. And we encourage anyone interested in learning more about this area of helping to create change to follow this exciting new organization, Farm Transition Academy, the other FTA. I'd love to know, what was it that got you interested in farm transitions in the first place?
2: So I think it was really seeing that first situation of my friends outreaching a farmer and seeing not only did she go vegan, but she stopped using cows as her means of income or food, I guess. And then seeing how quickly. And, um, I think that totally like got me more interested and just like my conversations on TikTok and knowing what different people were doing, like, like ranchers advocacy program and just learning more about that. Um, I had originally, gone into this thinking like, oh, just helping more people outreach farmers. But then when I connected with Tati, like I learned a lot more about like what the actual alternatives are. Um, Because when I, even when I outreach still, like that's not my specialty, like learning the ins and outs of like what they can do with their land. Um, I'm more there to get them to a point and where they're able, where they're open to like hearing the resources I have to provide to them. So that's connecting them with organizations like the Ranchers Advocacy Program, if they're in the US or Bivella, is that the, is that how you pronounce it, Um, in Europe, um, and providing them with different resources of uh, grants that they could get from the government, stuff like that. So I've learned a lot more, like, after actually getting involved in this stuff. But I think my first, like, interest was just hearing about these stories of farmers transitioning and and wanting to see more of that. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. You mentioned Lawrence before, Lawrence Candy, who I'm actually um, interviewing and catching up with Lawrence next week. We connected through you and through the very first Farm Transition Academy workshop. And uh, at that point, it was he was still learning and it was all very new for him as well. And it's a big, big thing for a farmer to transition a dairy farm into growing, you know, in Lawrence's case, is oats. And he has had his first harvest now since we caught up on that initial uh, workshop. And he is doing fabulous. He's a huge inspiration. Yeah. He's really leading the way in, in veganic farming and, and that is wonderful and as, as as with you as like I said before you know where one leads others will follow I think we need those success stories um, you know to, to get people to realize mm-hmm. that there is another way and as Rebecca Knowles from uh, Stock Free Farming said in our panel mm-hmm. the other day an overwhelming number of farming an overwhelming percentage of farmers said they would happily farm something else be open to farming other things if only the government money was spent in helping them to transition rather than propping up these dying industries
0: yeah i'd love to dive into subsidies and all the other entrapment tools there are but once again folks i'll direct you to our farm transition panel where we'll we go into in depth into that because um, yeah <laughs> very big rabbit hole to go down um, but yeah, it's, it's just been so wonderful talking to you through this interview and you've already done so much and uh, achieving so much. Um, and I, this is just the beginning for you. We just love everything that you are doing. Uh, do you have any goals for both your organization and your personal activism for 2023?
2: Yes. Um, I would love to see Home people stop selling glue traps. <laughs> That's the big one. Um, I would also... So right now with Tikva for Animals, we're really just exploring like the structure of the organization because we want it to be an environment where pe- different people can get involved in different areas. And so like I've been talking to people from different organizations. I'm supposed to have a call later with someone from Animal Think Tank, which launched Animal Rebellion and just talking about different structures and like which can be the most um advantageous to what I'm looking for. Um, But to do that, we need people working behind the scenes, not just like joining once it's launched, but people doing the research and preparing and like, I guess, a a development board basically, like people that are willing to put in the time to see that stuff happen, to get to the place where more people can join. Um, Because I can't do it all myself. I can't fill every role. (laughs) Um, So yeah, right now I'm looking for people specifically in Israel who would like to get involved Um, just because that's where I'm currently at. And that's where I think a lot of the work will, a lot of the activism will happen. And just because of the time zone issue and just like being in the same society and knowing how the country and people run, um, I think it's important for everyone to be in the same country right now um, for for this part, I guess, of the organization. So yeah, I'm looking for people in Israel who, who would like to get involved or learn more about how we can kind of launch it. Um, So that's another thing. I would love to find people who are interested in this stuff and and really just start preparing to like structure everything so that when we're launched, like we're ready to go and we can work out the kinks as things change and happen, but that we're kind of set up for success that way.
0: Absolutely brilliant. Well, hopefully some of our audience members here today will uh, be happy to fill that role Mm -hmm. or know somebody who is. If you do, please tag them. I get them to watch this so if
1: you can help you with the Kaparos next year as well and, mm-hmm. and save even more chickens help you raise awareness in that yes. way too
0: yeah well um for everybody please follow the links that i put in the the comments today uh to go support Mira's fantastic work absolutely love what you're doing i look forward to seeing you build that uh we've been talking about it a lot is that sort of you can really bloom as a, an organization have that that structure you know like a tree you've got to have a good course uh core trunk there to sort of hold the whole thing up and so i uh, really wish you all the best with that and i hope we can collaborate as much as possible uh during 2023 it's going to be a good year for the animals hopefully a lot, a lot more uh Happening.
1: Absolutely, and i must say you know aside from tick for animals as well the farm transition for uh academy is a proudly all female-led organization is this what i'm am i right yes. you are all female aren't you there's you yes. tati and kennedy at this stage yes. so fantastic and here you are leading the archaic males out of uh out of the dark side and into a bright new future
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much yeah if i could just leave like one last word about the farm transition arena what? would that be okay go for it. I I know a lot of advocates think that having a conversation with a farmer means that you necessarily agree with what they're doing. I don't think that's the case at all. Like You don't need to drop your morals or your values to work with the farmer or engage with the farmer. I think if anything, your values of wanting to see animals free is is what would be in line with working with farmers, because that is what will directly lead to less animals being slaughtered if a farmer stops farming. Um, And that's how these conversations can lead to that. Um, So I think just because someone might not be outreaching a farmer in a way that they're shaming and like trying to be very abolitionist in that sense of like unapologetically, I'm going to defend, the animals in this particular way um, does not mean that that they are not... Okay, can I start over? <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Basically, um, if you do pursue talking to a farmer in a more open way where you're willing to hear what they're saying, that does not make you like less abolitionist. If anything, I think... It it makes you more supportive of the animals because you're really getting you're getting to the nitty-gritty of like, let's have a productive conversation. So I just want to remind people that um you can be proudly abolitionist and engage with farmers. Like just because you're talking to them does not mean you condone what they're doing. And um if anything, it means like you're you're working towards that future you want to see. And farmers are part of that future by leaving the industry or transitioning to something else. And, um, yeah, I think, I think we can all in, get involved in this arena from our phones. So that's pretty cool.
0: Oh <laughs> yeah. brilliant. well, well you very well said hit the nail mm-hmm. on the head there with that. And so, yeah, <laughs> I, well I really do me. encourage folks to get involved.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode.
0: Check out the show notes for relevant links and ways to get involved.
1: A great place to get active is the Vegan FTA Take Action page, where you can make a difference in just a few moments.
0: Once again, if you've enjoyed the show, please leave a rating on your favourite podcast platform. We are Vegan FTA, vegan for For the the animals. animals.